Hello and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angles on these different issues. And this week, I want to touch on India. Now, why do I want to do that? First, it's not just that India's just passed China as the world's most populated country or that it's one of the biggest and most impactful economies in the world. It is also that it's been in the news a lot lately. And it's been in the news, at least here in the United States, for a few reasons. First, they just came and had a state visit with President Biden, as well as a nice reception at, in our Congress. And I'll talk about that later. And secondly, is that India this year is the chair of the G20. For those of you who don't know, the G20, the 20 leading economies in the world, rotates its chair every year. This is the first time India has done it, and they will have their leaders meeting, so that's presidents and prime ministers around the world, in September. And coming up on July 14th, the finance ministers and central bank governors will be meeting in India for a conversation on financial and economic issues. But let's start real quickly with the Indian economy. So India's economy is right now the fifth largest economy in the world, and many think that it'll be the third largest behind the United States and China in just a few years' time. India's economy has grown significantly over the last roughly 20 years, but it is facing a series of issues, including unemployment issues, some of the fallout from the COVID crisis. There are positive signs, such as that it is a leader in digitalization, particularly in emerging markets. It is starting to build and produce more electric vehicles, but it is also home of some of the most polluted cities in all of the world. As one of the world's largest economies, as well as probably the fastest growing major economy in the world, this puts India in a prime position to be the chair of the G20 this year. As the chair, India has done what most G20 countries do, which is they've set up a number of working groups, ministerial level meetings to discuss various issues, whether it's education or agricultural issues, sustainability, what have you. Of course, the biggest subject matter is going to be, in some respects, who is actually sitting at the table. So two of the countries at the table, one of them is Russia. Russia and India have a very strong relationship over many years. It is a question still whether Vladimir Putin will attend the G20 meetings in September, but I believe that India is assuming that he will attend, and so that will make things a little more spicy, shall we say. Second is is China. So India and China have had a, a rocky relationship over time, so not like Russia, not where they've had a good relationship. They've had a much more rocky relationship. But in the past, President Xi and India's Prime Minister Modi have been able to have a lot of meetings and conversations, but those went away in the early 2020s as India and China had uh, border disputes, some of which led to violent behavior. So with President Xi assuming to attend the G20 meetings, this will be another area to watch. How has that relationship developed? In terms of some of the substance I think that India is going to try to lead an effort in the areas that it finds most important, which is development. So a few weeks ago, I talked about the Paris Forum, which was supposed to be a forum of countries around the world being hosted by Emmanuel Macron. 
to focus on low-income countries. I think this is an area where India is going to try to expand upon that, expand upon successes and hopefully turn around maybe the potential failures from the Paris discussions. And so I would think that you're going to see more discussion about multilateral development bank reform. And in this respect, the new president of the World Bank, who is an American citizen, but he comes from an Indian background, that's Ajay Banga. And so you could see there being a conversation about how does the multilateral development banks, particularly the World Bank, do a better job in helping developing countries out. This is something that Prime Minister Narendra Modi has put some emphasis on. And the Indians themselves have basically talked about the importance of development, climate development or green development and climate finance. And how does the developing world itself have more of a voice at the table instead of just the developed world? So this is something we should be watching over the next couple of weeks as the G20 progresses. Some of the other areas that India will want to talk about lead me back to the conversations that were recently had between Prime Minister Modi and President Biden and the relationship that has developed between the two countries, the United States and and India. It's a relationship that's a little bit strange, but it is one that actually the politicians in the United States are celebrating. So let me kind of discuss that a little bit. Prime Minister Modi recently was in the United States and received what is called a state visit from the White House. These are very these are fairly rare. It's only the third one in the Biden administration. At the same time, he gave an address to a joint session of Congress for the second time in his career. Only a few people in history, Winston Churchill, for instance, have actually given two addresses to the joint session of Congress. So that is a fairly large honor for the United States. And the areas I think that India and the United States sees themselves working on are some of the ones that I think you could see more of in the G20. Areas such as digital technology, where India wants to be a leader, some of the innovation corridor that India has. Prime Minister Modi has also stressed women's empowerment. So I think these are areas that the United States feels like they can do more with India and with the G20 on. Areas that are not necessarily G20 areas, but the United States has put a great emphasis on are the strategic convergence between India and the United States. And that convergence is essentially the concerns about the rise of China. We see this most clearly through the building up of something called the Quad. The Quad is made up of the United States, India, Japan, and Australia. In many respects, it was begun to look at defense and intelligence sharing among those countries, in some respects, to counter some of the concerns about China. The area that has been less focus is whether or not could there be better economic integration among those countries. That still has not happened, but it is something that the United States and India are trying to see whether they can make progress on, and Prime Minister Modi's visit was part of that. All of that being said, there are problems between the United States and India, even with all of the great rhetoric surrounding the recent visit. There's probably a number of concerns, but two of them are probably prominent. The first, and by far the most important that you hear, at least from foreign policy circles, is India's support of Russia after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The United States has basically been taking names of countries that decided to back Russia 
and has raised concerns with those countries. In India's case, it really hasn't. Even though India has probably shown more cooperation with Russia on economic issues than almost any other country I can think of. So it is interesting that the overall issues of the U.S.-India relationship dominate this problem between India and Russia. The second area is the concern about has India's Prime Minister Modi taken a step back on democracy and to a lesser extent human rights, but mainly on democracy? There were protests raised during the recent visit that he has, that he has taken a position that is not tolerant of the opposition in India. But you do not hear that type of rhetoric coming from President Biden or from the leaders in Congress, whether they be Republicans or most of the leadership of the Democratic Party. Overall, however, Prime Minister Modi's visit was a celebration within the United States. I think mainly because it places them as an ally, potentially against China in the future, and uh, having a better relationship in emerging markets for the United States. At the same time, the U.S. and India have almost always had a very up-and-down relationship since in my professional career and actually before that as well. And I'm not convinced that that is going to change anytime soon. So now it's time for my three, two, one. That's my three takeaways, two things I'm looking forward to in my one sports fact. So here are my three main takeaways. First, India's economy has become one of the largest in the world, and it is continuing to grow at a fairly significant pace. However, India's growth rate is still maybe not as strong as it could be, and this could lead towards further problems in the future. Second, Prime Minister Modi's visit to the United States was a success for India and for the United States. But there still are underlying problems between our two countries. And third, India is the chair of the G20 this year and has a fairly robust agenda, which could, of course, be upset by the fact that Russia in particular and China to a lesser extent are very prominent members of the G20. The two things I'm looking forward to are, first, the G20 finance minister and central bank governors meeting over the next couple of weeks to find out whether or not is this agenda rhetoric or is there substance behind what India and the rest of the G20 are trying to do? And then second is the leaders meeting that will be taking place in September and whether or not Vladimir Putin will actually attend the meeting and how will the G20 react to such a visit? And now my one sports fact. The Women's World Cup of Soccer will kick off on July 20th in Australia and New Zealand. The finals will be played on August 20th. So there's a bunch of storylines for this year's tournament, but let me just focus on a couple important ones. It'll be the first Women's World Cup to feature 32 teams. This allows nations that have in the past not had as strong a soccer program, such as Zambia or Vietnam or Morocco, to participate in the tournament for the very first time. The two main storylines, I think, are first, can the United States, which unlike the men's version of the World Cup, is a total powerhouse in soccer, win a third World Cup in a row? Now, this has never actually been done before in 
either men's or women's. The only versions are Brazil won two in a row in men's soccer. Italy won two in a row in men's soccer, but that was done in the 1930s. And Germany won two in a row in women's soccer, but no one has ever won a third. For the United States, they are the number one team in the world, but they are missing three of their best players due to injuries, and two of their other best players are not going to be able to start because they are currently injured, though they will be playing during the World Cup. The second point is the rise of a number of countries over the last few years. Countries such as Canada, which won the Olympic Games, where the United States actually received the bronze. England, which won the European Championships. Plus countries such as Spain, Germany, France, and Australia are are all very important countries. In fact, if you looked at the individual players for the best players in the world last year, only one American finished in the top 10. Most of the rest finished were in the top 10 were from Europe. So can one of these teams rise up and knock the United States off? That will be the other story. And then maybe lastly, and a very important point, is the rise in popularity of women's soccer. In the past, we used to see 20, maybe 30,000 people would come to the World Cup. But just last year, we saw over 90,000 people come to see the European Championship game between club teams in Europe. It would be great to see those type of numbers, 70 to 90,000 people show up and watch the Women's World Cup. Well, whatever happens, I, I wish best of luck to all of them. I'm going to be paying attention and I'm going to be probably running a, running a pool within my neighborhood as to who will win that World Cup. Of course, I'll root for the United States, but it is nice to see how competitive it will be among all these different countries. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. And as always, we love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. And we can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. We'll be taking another week off next week, frankly, so I can spend some time with my family. But please tune in on July 24th for our final current account of the summer. All of our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and goodbye.